There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back. Another week, another dollar, eh? Well, I hope that was your case. Well, here we are, Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. And we are here to help you become just a little bit wealthier each and every week. So do tune in every week to Hi-Fi Radio on Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Jack Hartle, the producer of the show. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack's also the co-host. And uh, today we've got a great lineup. Uh, David Tolk from Fidelity, an institutional portfolio manager. It means that he deals with the real serious money. He's going to be here to help us talk about this extended bull market and how long the bull market continues for. Apparently, it was the ninth anniversary of the start of this bull market, so we're here to celebrate just that. Then we're going to get some CEOs on. We're going to get uh, Jack's boss on, Dan Davio. Uh, <laughs> he's going to talk to us about Canaccord and the changing landscape of the brokerage industry. And we're going to end it off with a follow-up, uh, Bruce Linton, of course, of Canopy Growth, the world's largest marijuana taking company. cannabis global he's taking cannabis global indeed <laughs> like i wasn't global before jack exactly all right without further ado david tolk institutional portfolio manager with uh, fidelity how are you this morning david i'm doing very well how are you guys we're doing very very well thank you so uh nine years of a bull market here we are 2018 January was a good start, got very rocky in February, the low vol trade and some derivatives blew up and uh, the market tanked. Uh, markets come back, question is does it retest the lows or do we go to make new highs and everyone lives happily ever after until May comes along where we sell and May go away and you get some more summer volatility and then you get a fall rally and the year's over and hopefully we made some money. Is that how it's going to play out you think David, will it be that easy? Uh, I wish it were going to be that easy. I think the one theme that we'll see more of, uh, whether it's coming from ETF products, whether it's coming from trade negotiations, whether it's coming just from a certain individual's Twitter account, will be much more volatility over the course of the year. So uh, I think what was anomalous going into the end of January was the fact that things were as calm as they ended up being. So that didn't really prove to be sustainable. And if anything, a little bit of volatility helps, I think, shake uh, a little bit of the weak hands out of the market so we can get back to the business of understanding the fundamentals. You know, so you you work in the Global Asset Allocation Group. Uh, and basically, just to help the listener out, what that means is you help other portfolio managers decide between three key asset classes, cash, bonds, and stock. And that really is 80% of the outcome. Uh, if you get the asset mix right, for the most part, the individual constituents will rise with the tide and vice versa. Uh, so for very, very instrumental. And Jack and I are wrestling just this global asset mix right now, specifically in the bond space. Uh, of all asset classes, real estate, bonds, cash, stocks, we think bonds are the most egregiously priced. Yields on a go-forward basis are 3% if you're lucky, uh, which doesn't really meet the investment objectives of most retail clients. So what we've been doing is actually scaling back our fixed income as lean as we possibly can go, and we're actually adding some large-cap American stocks to our portfolio, names like Google, Amazon, Apple, the, you know, the, the typical culprits. Uh, so guide us, uh, David. Do you think we're on the right track? Yeah, I think uh, that makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, really depends on the kind of shocks that we're likely to see, because bonds, I think, still have a role to play as an insurance policy in a, a balanced fund. Yep. But 
Having said that, the direction of interest rates certainly are higher. So facing some potentially significant capital losses over an investment horizon, we've positioned ourselves to be underweight core duration, but instead are looking for things in the fixed income universe uh, that are less sensitive to rising rates and things that instead have a little bit more of a correlation to the economic cycle, which through our lens still looks like it's got some more room to run. It does, without question. I say, David, you mentioned something there that the listeners should uh, pay close attention to. You mentioned about duration, and that is basically the interest sensitivity of a stock or a bond on uh, rising interest rates. And you know, at a low coupon rate that we have right now with fixed income, duration really has never been longer. And fixed income has never been more risky. So that's part of the reason why Wolfgang and I are really scaling back where in the fixed income landscape do you actually like? Which types of uh, bonds are you looking at? Uh, so we're still seeing some opportunity in corporate debt, uh, investment grade. We're still looking at opportunities to be overweight, high yield. And this is a little bit of a, a tougher one to get our uh, hands around sometimes because we recognize that spreads are very tight, but we still like the earnings environment that feeds into those bonds. Uh, we're looking at some levered loans, so products that increase in value as interest rates move up as well as a little bit of CMBS around the edges uh, to give us something with, again, a little bit more of an economic exposure within the fixed income universe. And then finally, just the risk around inflation, which uh, had been pretty much ignored by the market in recent years, has started to come back. So uh, we've had uh, some off-benchmark allocations to explicit inflation protection. So real return bonds in Canada, tips in the U.S., and that's now a position that's starting to perform for us. So that's the late cycle bond portfolio, basically economically sensitive. Uh, it continues to do well in a um, rising interest rate environment. Yeah, that's, that's the game plan. And then also on the equity side, uh, having some uh, commodity exposure there makes a certain amount of sense. But uh, having said that, we want to still be underweight the Canadian market. So it's more of a global commodity play just because of our concerns around the outlook for Canada's economy that's become much more precarious in the last six months to a year. Look, we have David Talk on the line. He's an institutional portfolio manager with Fidelity, one of the world's largest asset managers. To get a job at Fidelity means you've got yourself some pretty good credentials. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come right back with David Talk uh, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Pour a cheerful toast and fill it. Happy anniversary, but be careful you don't spill it. Happy anniversary. Oh, happy there you go. Nine year bull market in equities. There you go, David. Happy anniversary to you as well, me institutional portfolio. Hey, you know where that song came from, by the way? Uh, it sounds something vaguely Muppets ish, but that might be pretty, pretty good. close. Yeah, that's good. good. I guess he has the Flintstones. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, so, David, let's go back to uh, the bond market. Um, we we had we had Manny Life in our office today, Jack and I, and Manny Life was saying to us that we have to lower clients' return expectations when it comes to fixed income, uh, probably closer to the three percent level. Um, do you think that number is correct? And if it is, what do you think the return expectation for the equity market twelve months should be? Yeah, that seems like a reasonable uh, estimate for a fixed income return. Again, yields themselves have been drifting higher, but are still, I think, in a lower yield environment relative to prior cycles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, probably closer to the highs in which yields can move. Uh, and then, you know, the capital losses on that move higher in yields will certainly dent return as well. But then thinking about what we could see from more of the equity side, uh, you know, it's still other than it being a fairly expensive market, some of the fundamentals remain quite positive. So it's that macro cycle we talked about that can extend further the corporate earnings environment. 
uh, still holding up reasonably well. So to think about equities globally in the 5 to 7% range, uh, maybe even a touch higher, uh, that seems to be realistic as well. Uh, David Tolk, Institutional Portfolio Manager with Fidelity, is in the house with us. So, so David, you're a 60-year-old. You're looking into retirement five years in front of you. What do you, in this low-rate environment, you're a moderate guy, moderate individual. Uh, you make an average income. With your portfolio, in your opinion, being the global asset allocator expert at Fidelity, David, how much bond, how much stock, how much equity in 2018 should you be holding? Right. I think as you get closer to retirement and potentially needing to draw on some of that money, the uh, an allocation to cash and fixed income should still uh, be one of the priorities you should put above the rest. So uh, playing that somewhat more defensively, so keeping a, a 40% allocation uh, to either cash and, and bonds collectively, and then keeping that equity uh, portfolio of around 60, but looking to scale that back as those cash needs become more apparent. And uh, within the equity world, again, maybe looking for opportunities outside of Canada where relevant and maybe also taking a, a dip in the value pool. I think value as an asset or as an investment theme has certainly been beaten up. And as the cycle gets towards its later stages, there could certainly be some opportunity uh, to protect an equity side of the portfolio. So you bring up two points here that I'm going to have to talk to you about. Uh, point number one is if you have 40% in bonds, 60% in equity, if you're, and you're 60, that's sort of what you're recommending right now for a 60-year-old to a 40% fixed income and cash, 60% equity, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And if you, so if you have that mix, your return expectation collectively for 12 months out, I'm going to say would have to probably be closer to 5%. Three on the bonds, six, six or seven on the equities. Sounds like about a 5% return expectation. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. I think that yeah. speaks to the nature of the way we're the way we're looking at this market. Yeah, yeah so, I, was, I say the issue is if you try and chase more yield or higher yield, or you take on more risk with your equity portfolio than you can handle, then you you might be susceptible to that additional volatility and uh, get shaken out of the market. You don't want to be in that type of situation. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, we're in the same boat. Like Jack and I, we, we're getting clients who are pressuring us, and it's the elder client who's pressuring us. The younger clients let us do our thing, but it's the elder client. Well, who, for the younger clients, we're mostly in equities, and they're performing quite well. Right. At the yeah. Moment, right. Yeah. So the, it's the elder clients where we have them in fixed income and they're not liking the fixed income portion of their portfolio and we try to remind them repeatedly how important it is to have some ballast in the portfolio and when equities correct they correct pretty hard especially from a ninth anniversary level so we have to be very cognizant of that and, and try to reduce our return expectation but again i want to come now to a second point here fang stocks facebook amazon netflix google i think they threw in apple Microsoft. sort of in there apple no apple is in there uh, no i think they threw in uh, uh microsoft into that equation i think regardless the the, the tech landscape Rip and Roaring, doing very, very well. Uh, we're certainly generating a lot of alpha, owning good U.S. tech names, chip stocks, uh, other semis, uh, software, uh, cloud-based stuff, uh, working very, very well. The value trade, the dividend trade, the yield trade, not working yet. Uh, we have a barbell approach, uh, David Tulk, Institutional Portfolio Manager with Fidelity. It's called a reset on radio, my good friend. We want to make sure people know who we're talking with here, right? Um, the value trade, the dividend trade, the telecom companies in America, Verizon, AT&T that we own, our income trust, uh, we own KGA and W. We're talking our book, but we can do that. Um, they're not working for us so well. Uh, so you believe we're going to maybe let up on the success of growth and pass the baton perhaps over to yield value dividend? in the second half of the year because we're sort of hoping the same thing. 
Yeah, it may be a little bit longer of a theme than just for the second half of the year. It might take the better part of 2018 to get there. But if you had to think about where you would see potentially more upside, uh, do you want to chase what we've seen on in terms of growth stocks or yeah. recognizing some value that has certainly been created, created within the value universe? Uh, I think a, a, a really nimble, active manager within the value space can still find some good news stories. Give us some. Give us some. We have about a minute left here, so give us some good news stories here. What can we? Uh, what should Jack and I research this weekend? Yeah, no, I mean, I have to offer a disclaimer here that we don't go to a stock level. We allocate to managers that are yeah, choosing uh, the I, I had to ask. I had a feeling that was going to be answered. I had to ask, David. But anyway, you, you do think there's value out there. You just got to dig deep for it. Yeah, I think so. I think we've, we have some value managers in our uh, stable that are still able to find some good opportunities. For instance, in the Japanese small cap space, we have a manager that spends a lot of his time dabbling there, and it's a great exposure to bring back to a Canadian investor. Well, what did Wayne Gretzky say, Jack? <laughs> go, go to where the puck's going, not where it's been. I think that's what David Talk is telling the listener right now. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah that's good advice. Yeah, you're a Canadian boy, aren't you there, David? Absolutely. Which means you're a Leaf fan? Uh, it's in my DNA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God help you. <laughs> <laughs> Real pleasure to have you on the show with us. David Tulk, Institutional Portfolio Manager with Fidelity on the Global Asset Allocation Group. If you want to grow up and get yourself a real job, that's where you want to be, a global, global asset allocator. Real pleasure to have you with us. Coming up next, Dan Davio, the CEO of Canaccord, Jack's boss, and mine, I guess, as well, right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. How's that, Dan? Hey, Dan Davio, President Chief Executive Officer for Canaccord Genuity Group, is in the house playing you some boss. You're sort of our boss, except really in our world, it's our client who's the boss. They drive everything, Dan, correct? Correct. All right, so we got the CEO hour coming up. You're on for a couple of hits, and then we're going to have your buddy Bruce Linton on, Dan. Um, I love Bruce. I bet you do. So, uh, Dan Davio, it's, it's amazing because you used to actually be an analyst, and you covered uh, tech Telecom and media, the TMT they used to call it. Yeah, and that's actually when I used to work in media, and that's when Nortel got up to 126 bucks a share. It was an and exciting time for that that industry for sure. Yes, yeah, so you must exactly. have had a great. You must have had a wonderful time working in the industry back then. Well, Nortel had probably at its peak a 200 billion dollar market capitalization. It was bigger than the Royal Bank by a long shot. Wow, it was it was a third of the TSX, wasn't it? Yep, it, it was 200 200 billion, eh? Yeah, and JDS got up to 100 billion market cap, and it employed one out of every six people in Ottawa. Wow. You know what they say about any company that gets over to the size of the Royal Bank in Canada, right, Dan? Uh, it's only one place to go. <laughs> Isn't it the truth? It happened to what? It happened to BlackBerry, obviously, Nortel, anyone else? I think, oh, I think, I think Potash for a period of time. Potash, I think you're right, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. So, uh, Jack and I are saying, we're going to talk to Dan. we got the big guy coming on. Uh, and with your history, we're going to talk to you a little bit about manias uh, and the psychology of investing. Uh, the fear of missing out, FOMO, is the new acronym that I've learned through my kids. Um and you've had marijuana stocks and you've had cryptocurrencies uh, create quite the fury in 2017. A little uh, especially in retail land, too, because we never had uh, a lot of clients calling us throughout this bull market in the last nine years. But uh, crypto last year and the marijuana stocks, it was certainly a mania, that's for sure. It was. So, so uh, how, how does this relate back to, uh, to Tech 2000, Dan? Is it the same, similar? What can you teach the investor? Yeah, I think... 
at the end of the day, <clears throat> and I differentiate a little bit between the marijuana stocks and the crypto stocks, the crypto sure. stocks, there's just not that much to invest in, to be honest. There's three or four public crypto companies. People invest in the currency. There's just not a lot of public companies. Mm -hmm. Marijuana stocks, on the other hand, there's lots of companies. We did a conference in Vancouver, as uh, as Wolfgang knows, that you know we had a year ago, we had... 11 companies with about $3 billion market cap. We did the exact same conference two weeks ago, three weeks ago. There was 22 companies with a $33 billion of market cap. So it is a massive space, and it's a space that's interesting to retail. I guess the, the only difference I'd compare to the tech stuff when you mention that is the tech stuff didn't have any underlying valuation measures in the boom. They were measuring price per eyeball, price per engineer, price per whatever. <laughs> Here, at least, people are building out cash flow forecasts. Now, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're too optimistic. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you want to go value a lot of these cannabis companies, you're valuing on price to next year's earnings or price to their growing capacity, what they've actually invested in the ground. Mm -hmm. And there's a real market. You can say what you want about cannabis. There's a real market. People I use that product, and they're going to pay for that product, and you've seen it. So, oh, without question. It's, it's a changing landscape in Canada, for sure, and it's something that's evolved over the last year, for sure, and Canaccord's definitely been at the front edge of that, especially with the, some of the financings that we've done. So, so that's the next point then, Dan, because I've mentioned this on the air a couple of times. Uh, Canaccord was early to the space. The independents, the, the, a few of our competitors, were, were early to the space. The big banks did not go down that road for legislative reasons. Um, they're warming up the space. Uh, we're starting to see some deals with BMO. Mm -hmm. uh, one, deal. What, what, one deal. So what do you think happens when it becomes legal and the Banking Act will then allow to do business with these producers? What's going to happen? Well, again, we, we and this sounds self-promotional and it's not meant to be, but the fact is lots of different spaces get busy, get busy in their initial and there's always risk capital that gets deployed in those spaces. And if you're a big bank and you're worried fundamentally more about yourself than you are ultimately about the entrepreneurial client, you're not going to bank that space because you're worried that these things may not work out, which sometimes happens to risk capital type companies. Hmm. So where the banks tend to excel and where they're really good is when banks want, is when companies want the bank's loans, that three and four and 5% loan. Banks lend money to companies who make money. Right. They don't lend money to people who lose money. That's not how they operate. They're not asset-based lenders. They're earnings-based lenders. And huh. So as the cannabis companies continue to improvingly make money, and we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, so if someone makes $100 million of EBITDA, a bank will lend them $300 million or $400 million. A little hint, when those cannabis companies are making $100 million, they're not going to be particularly active capital markets Isn't issuers. Isn't that the case? The bank's willing to lend you money when you don't it's need it. It's always when you don't need it, right? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. that's something I think retail can really appreciate as well. Once you're rich, you want me to increase your credit line? Well, I don't need sure. it anymore. <laughs> yeah, Dan will take it. Dan will take it. Look, Dan, we're going to pay some bills around here. Used to work in media, and you understand what we have to do in the media business. We're going to run some commercials. They're good commercials because you know something? Can't afford to run some commercials on 640 in Toronto. So please listen to them, turn it up, and Dan Davio will be right back on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody.
Uh, may you be the Lord, not the devil, eh, Dan? Exactly. <laughs> Devil's in the detail. Well, uh, we have to serve somebody, and uh, well, Jack and I try to serve our 250 families that we manage money for, Dan. And again, truth be told, you, you, you're here to serve me, and Correct. you do a very good job of that. And uh, You know, what I like about Canaccord over working at a bank, Dan, is that if I need to speak to our president, the call gets returned immediately. If I need to speak to you, okay, you get back to me at a very reasonable... If you, if you want to get him on the radio... Yeah. He shows up in the so, studio. Yeah, so it, it, so you, you 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 know evolved this company from a being a mining company, uh, you know stuff coming out of the ground to a well stuff coming up through the ground now <laughs> marijuana. I want to talk about the oil landscape. Um, uh, Jack and I were just had a presentation from Rafi from Canoe Financial. He manages some of my oil money for my clients, and uh, he says Canadian or international investors don't care about Canada. Uh, and as such, uh, the differentials with oil selling at $30 a barrel below what the American counterparts are receiving uh, makes it very, very difficult to make money in the Canadian oil patch. Uh, how, how do you address a situation like that like in terms of policy, in terms of getting back to where we once were as a, as a dominant, friendly jurisdiction to do oil business? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the resident expert on that, but mm -hmm. clearly we've got a political vacuum in place and when our production is selling for so much less than everyone else's production we've got an issue we got a pipeline issue we got a political environment issue you look at where we're producing oil you look at the the politics involved in those jurisdictions why would you want to invest when you can invest in Texas or, mm -hmm. you know, some and, shale base? They say money, money goes where it's most welcome. And right now it's leaving the Canadian oil patch. So it's, it's pretty clear that uh, the global uh, opportunities are, are better elsewhere. At the I, I was just looking at just looking at our results the other day. And, and five years ago, in 2000, yeah, five years ago, we put up 22% of our revenue in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. This last, this year, 5%. Wow. 5%. What a delta. Did marijuana make up the difference? Uh, marijuana helped make up the difference, but you know what? Mining's picking up a little bit as well, and you know, there's a number of other sectors: healthcare, healthcare devices, tech, blockchain. Like Let's talk about blockchain, Dan. Sure. Because, because again, you get in front of clients, people who are raising money. Because uh, you know, we, we we supply capital to entrepreneurs. Correct. Correct to true entrepreneurs, not companies that are making money. Companies that have an idea. That well, companies that make money too, Wolf. Ideally, but a lot, <laughs> yeah. a, lot, a lot of companies we raise money for often don't make money. Some of them. Uh, some of them, right. So let's talk about blockchain because crypto, we, we know the, the crypto landscape, is, it made headlines. But underneath crypto is blockchain, and that has legs to it. We believe. Disruptive legs, perhaps. Yes. Um, so in terms of financing, in terms of real investable ideas in uh, crypto, Jack and I have been looking. What's the ETF we were looking at? It was called Link. Uh, just Link was the one. Yeah, Link there's, was there's the also Hive, which was the blockchain. Hive, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the viability of this space and uh, the type of runway you believe it has and the, 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 the road to profitability. Yeah, well, I think what you've seen the primary investing audience go in initially here is into things that they can understand in the blockchain. So what do they understand? They understand mining blockchain. It's fundamental, right? You got it's it's how the whole system works. So people are mining coins. So you've seen a lot of people finance the miners. Yeah, the guys running their computers to run the algorithms to to do the yeah, checks and balances. But they're not computers anymore. These are massive, massive, massive infrastructure plays that require tens and tens of millions of dollars for people to build and long term power contracts and facilities and they're really spending a lot of money. You're very sophisticated. I've seen pictures of those with warehouses and just rows and rows and rows of servers. Right. And, and that produce immense amount of heat and need, you know, cooling environments. Carbon heavy. They, not yeah, good for the environment. It's remarkable. Well, China's China's shutting it down, right? Quebec has a moratorium right now on power. 
uh, going to blockchain miners. So they're is that really, right? Eh? Because yeah, they're good for marijuana p- p- providers out in Quebec. Well, the, the marijuana is a small fraction sure, okay, of, sure. what, of yeah. what these guys. And marijuana employs a lot of people. Right. It's funny. Like, all, all types of mining are, you know, uh, carbon heavy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's detrimental to the environment. So, th- so that's the issue there. And then they start. So, what's the other thing they're investing in? The, the things that we've been selling is exchanges because people have to trade this stuff. So, CoinSquare and a number of other clients, Einstein. These are all exchanges, blockchain ex- currency exchanges. So, that, that, that's, so that's easy real, to understand. That's taking real money into the crypto market and and, vice versa. and trading it yeah, and, and taking it back out. Exactly. So that that's what we've been financing. We have Dan Davio on the line. He's uh, President Chief Executive Officer with Canaccord Genuity. He is the boss of Canaccord. We're talking, of course, blockchain and uh, the direction for just that. Uh, very very early stages, very early innings with this, with this whole blockchain. Do you not believe? Uh, yeah, I, I I think it is, and the technology is going to evolve. It's a fundamentally sound technology. It, took, it was years in the making. Started in the gaming audience, years to develop. Gaming is that where it came from? Re- yeah, it was people trading. It was initially people trading, you know, swords. All right, you oh. know, swords on games, and that's where that's where this technology originally developed from. And 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 it was they needed a currency to help them trade their shields and their swords. That's kind of how really? this thing developed. Huh. So it's a fundamentally sound technology, but you know what? Like it's, it's, you, you mentioned the technology boom from years yeah. ago, and you said, you said, hey, what? How do you value technology coming? And there was nothing to do, and the, the, you had these internet companies out there, and everyone says, I'm an internet company. I'm an internet company. Who's an internet company now? Yeah. You're a software company. You're a social company. Similarly, everyone's running around saying, I'm a blockchain company. I'm a blockchain company. In five years from now, no one will call themselves a blockchain Kodak, company. Kodak pulled, Kodak pulled that move a couple months ago, correct? Right. correct? Yeah, and right. the stock with popped their, immediately. With said, their ICO, their initial coin offering. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah, but but in three years from now, blockchain will just fundamentally be part of people's business. Oh, it's going to be part of the real economy. And once that comes into effect, then you'll actually be able to get a real valuation 100%. on it, which is important. 100%. Um, let me ask you, a sector that's done very well, and you may not be paying that much close attention to it because you're a busy guy, do a lot of different things, but the credit card business. Um, they continue to make gobs of money. Uh, and again, that which makes the most money becomes viable for threat from blockchain. All right. Um, do you see the runway continue for the likes of MasterCard, Visa? You know, there are you know, more online I, I, transactions, they're accepting smaller transactions. Well, the, and, that, and that's been the key. I mean, the, the whole economy has gone infinitely more digital. They've been the easiest one to facilitate this, uh, this whole transition. But sooner or later, either their fees are going to come down or they're going to get replaced. You know, I remember the payment providers originally in the gaming space. They were peeling out tons of money, but as the gaming space became more legitimate, then the, they couldn't peel out the same amount of money. Payment processor is just that. It's a it's a cost in the middle of a system. The more you can reduce that cost, You, you look better. at a Western Union, right? They're still charging. I don't know what it is. It's almost 10% to, yeah. to do that last yeah, mile, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but that money transfer business, electronic or wire business, electronic money, that goes away eventually. Like, I'm yep. not saying today. I'm saying eventually. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's what technology does, man. It drives margins down. Dan Davy, a real pleasure. Chief Executive Officer with Canaccord Genuity Group. You keep up the hard work. You know, like, but you got your boots on the ground, man. You really, really do. No ivory tower for Dan. You know what? You that's, that what I like, that's, and I. that's what I like about you two guys as well. You got your boots on the ground, and thank you very much for having me. Great, Dan. Thank you. Thanks Coming up next, we're going to talk to Bruce Linton from Canopy Growth and stay on the marijuana theme right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, 
little Breaking Bad Hi-Fi Radio. Good day. Wolfgang Klein, host of Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle in the studio, producer of the show. And we got Bruce Linton on. He is the CEO of Canopy Growth. And every time we bring you on, Jack always sort of has a smirk on his face. Um, just, just, he, has, he has these images of, of you versus... Uh, Walter White. Walter White. Walter White. Yep. And then we got the next one lined up for you, which is... Um, which is Narcos. Uh, so, again, because you know, you're selling a product. You're not just selling marijuana, my good friend. You're selling marijuana internationally. That's what, that's what the Colombian cartel did, right? They went local and then just took it internationally. And, but you're doing it legally. Do you have any trouble, by the way, crossing borders? No. So um, I'm actually in the U.S. as I speak to you now. And, uh, do we have to be quiet? Do have to hush, hush, hush like on this? Sorry, hush, doing. hush on this one here since you're... <laughs> <laughs> the feds are, the feds but, are listening, but, man. Well, the big thing that happens, though, is uh, when you exit prohibition, meaning you only go where it's legal, the effect is uh, all you're doing is changing the supply chain because all those guys you described who are selling all that stuff illegally have built a great market. And if it gets regulated and you follow the rules, it's pretty awesome business. No, no, let me ask you this. So, oh, sorry. You know, we... No, go ahead, go ahead, Bruce. I apologize. We have a, you and I have a delay. We have a bit of a delay on the, in the show here. I apologize for that. Okay, Bruce. No, so like when and when I come into the U.S., if they ask what I do, I explain what I do because I don't do it in America, and uh, they know that you know it's generally understood. And I'm not breaking any laws. Well, fair enough. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, here in Canada, of course, you've been in the business now for how many years? Selling medical marijuana. I uh, started. In- Started in 2012. Uh, first sales license was to product go out the door on April 1st, 2014. So 2014, you sold your first gram of pot. Okay. Here we are, yeah. 2018, yeah. only right. four years later, and you are now going global. So like, I, I would say you have, and I'm not going to say it on air, but you know what I'm talking about. You have blank. It's got four letters on it with an S on the back mm-hmm. end of it. To, to go global yeah. before you really make any money here in Canada, like, what are you thinking, my good friend? So um, we're pretty fortunate, right? The the only or first place that got the public policy right on how to govern it for medical and now for adults to buy it under sort of well well structured conditions is Canada. And so what you want to do is when everybody's following. So if I was on the show with you guys in 2014, well, four countries in the world that were either doing something or contemplating something, Canada being the leader. I'm on today. There are 29 that are either doing something about cannabis regulation or have implemented it. And they've largely borrowed the public policy of Canada. So if what I did is I said, why don't I sit at home until I've done a really good job and I'm profitable in a country with 35 million people, I would right then miss the next wave, which is opening up with over 350 million people that will follow under a good regulatory framework. Because I don't know and how many... going yeah. early, you get the advantage. Yeah, but I don't know how many Canadian companies, after well-established in Canada, went to the United States and only to come home with their tail between their legs. Uh, anyways, it's, it's amazing. And, and you're going to uh, – Germany seems to be a, a, a real hub for, for the uh, Canadian players to be uh, snooping around. Why Germany? Well, I would say, like, it's – Germany uh, is the most advanced uh, in Europe of the regulatory framework being developed. And when Germans regulate, do a great job. So if you can succeed in Germany <laughs> – we're also in Denmark or in Spain. And so that's happening. But kind of back to your first point, um, that's always been one of my bugaboos about, you know, Canadians are quite happy to be the best in Eastern Canada. And I guess I was fortunate. My very first uh, boss was a guy named Sir Terrence Matthews. And uh, Terry would routinely, and including up to these days when I attend uh, tech company meetings with him, he will ask, how much business did you do in Indonesia last quarter? How much did you do in... You know, every every pick and up, you know, end, end of the earth kind of company area, 
And it's because from the time I started working with him in 1992, he's always been of the view that Canada is a great place, great things. But if you want to stay here and be dominant, you're going to be dead. Isn't that and, something else? Uh, I think that's the right way to go. Well, you know, you're, you're helping out the uh, the Canadian economy because uh, you know Dan Davy in the studio was just uh, saying how the, how many people are now employed in the in the marijuana space. Uh, by the way, we have Bruce Linton on the line. He is the president and CEO of the world's largest marijuana producer, Canopy. Uh, so you have it estimated that roughly five hundred thousand kilos of recreational cannabis. Uh, could be sold about $4 billion at today's retail bud prices. Uh, that's a big number. Yeah. And I think it's the number that you start your clock August 1st up. Because the way the regulations are moving through, I think the provinces will start taking inventory in uh, late June and July. And uh, most of them, or many of them, will be ready uh, for transactions in August. So in a 12-month period, that'll be the launch year. Concurrent with that, there are other markets growing uh, where they need imports initially and will have to have production assets following. So that's additional to the sum that you talked about. And, um, you know, that doesn't capture a lot of the work that we're doing and, uh, you know, focused on how do we take these things called cannabinoids and put them into medical uh, programs so they start displacing things called opioids and other, you know, uh, pharmaceutical ingredients. Yeah. So there's, there's just wave after wave and what it is about now isn't growing cannabis it's converting it into finished goods brands and, and medical products and you know you do need to have a fairly substantial scale so um i think in our company right now we have about 780 people and i'm looking for about another 300 and so the you know the tweet.com website looks more like a job posting site than it does a transactional platform Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because before we came to the studio, Jack gave me a piece from Warren Buffett. Seven secrets from Warren Buffett's employees. Secret number five, protect and build your brand. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Bruce Linton is in the studio. We're talking about the marijuana industry. He's the president and CEO of Canopy. We're going to pay some bills around here and get right back to Bruce right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Narcos for you. We got Bruce Linton apparently in the Florida Keys. Bruce, what are you doing in the Keys? It can't be anything good you're up to. <laughs> hey, Bruce yeah, Linton, no, president CEO of Canopy, yeah. the world's largest marijuana producer. We gave you a little Narcos to tee up this show. But my friend, you are no narcotic distributor. No, you're operating in the legal landscape within the laws. As pharmaceutical, always, yeah. But pharmaceutical, recreational, call it what you want. It's, yeah, sure. It's, it's, you're, 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 you're abiding by the laws. Um, but you're thinking global is so quickly, and it's incredible. I have to ask you, uh, because you're upsetting the uh, black market, have you had any death threats, any, 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 any good dealings with the black market saying, hey, stop this or we're going to The guys that aren't hurt so you? friendly. We're, yeah. we're going to hurt you? Yeah, so far so good. And, you know, I think um, there's been a lot of things that constrain the black market. You know, even though U.S. production is illegal, there's been a, a great number of states that have diminished the market. And, you know, I think what we're doing is, as things get regulated, it just happens. And if you think about the whole process of uh, alcohol production and transfer, once the provinces are selling it, they're demanding it, it's kind of a, you know, 
the genie's out of the bottle. And so that's sort of feels like the way uh, this has gone now. That's funny. I, yeah. I remember having John. I remember having John Sleeman in the studio back when I used to work in broadcast, and his family were bootleggers. So, so isn't that funny that the Canadians once bootlegged booze to the United States legally? Of course, it was because it was legal still here in Canada, and here we're sort of doing the same well, thing. Well, Bruce said prohibition's coming off, right? And that's what you're I seeing. Know, and uh, these sin stocks. So I don't know if it's a sin stock, but. Uh, Clients don't like us buying cigarette companies or gun companies or munition companies, but for some reason they're okay with us buying marijuana stocks. It is true, Bruce. Stocks, yeah, we got, we got, we, we, kind we, of we, odd. Yeah, we bought the index, the HMMJ, for our clients uh, back in the fall of last year. We just nailed the timing on it. And uh, we, it's, you know, in a note to our clients, we said, like, if any, any of you have issue with us buying marijuana stocks, let us know and we'll pull it out of your account. And I think we had one client push back on it out of 250 clients. But the Whereas other- we, bought mar- we once bought cigarette stocks about 15 years ago, Philip Morris, because it had a big, fat, juicy dividend. And Jack showed me what the rate of return of I cigarette say those stocks. Those stocks over oh, a long period of time, God, uh, the, the growth on them is unbelievable. In- and most of it is cash flow, right? Philip they're- Morris, Jack, you showed me it was 68 68- Thousand percent appreciation because if you bought it fifty. Years I would say ago. because they, they do what we always talk about. They're buying commodities and selling brands, and I think that's where Bruce is taking this company. Yeah, well put, well put. So let's talk yeah. then about more about the branded opportunity and your cannabis to to put out the opioids. I like that phrase. Well, so you're going to have branding in medical, and what that's going to arise from is picking categories where we can succeed. So the first one we've been working on is sleep. There are a range of types of cannabis and specific cannabinoids. We think it triggers sleep. You run it through a standard uh, medical program, which includes uh, short trials, small cohorts, because we don't have to start at the very beginning of an approval process. It's already an approved substance. We're just going to modify it. And all of a sudden, now you start having something that might go head-to-head with Ambient, and you have a brand, and the, that brand will announce a new course. On the medical side, to go that route, on the rack or adult access side, where the branding starts is now, well, we'll put products on the shelf, but where it really gets locked in is when we introduce uh, in 2019 the next generation of products, which we think uh, the regulators are going to demand and expect. And they could include things like a beverage, which has no calories, has no alcohol, yet causes you to feel giddy up and has an onset, you know, similar to having a glass of wine. So you can imagine um, how disruptive that could be when it's well-branded and when it's presented by the same authority that sells alcohol. And in a place like Nova Scotia, They've chosen that they're not going to have a separate store for cannabis and alcohol. They're going to have a single store with a division line in the middle, glass wall. And so on Friday night, when the worker shows up with his 40 or 50 bucks at the store, he's not going to start making allocation decisions directly at the same point of sale between alcohol and cannabinoid-based products. Hmm. And I think that's when you're going to start to see the real crank or torque that can happen on this product and this brand and the combinations that are possible. And we're only talking about a year from now. And so if anybody thinks, you know, all these things are overhyped or overblown, I don't know, walk in the liquor store and see how susceptible that whole package set with something that makes you not depressed but upbeat and has no calories and limited and all drug-on-drug interaction. Incredible. Yeah, no, what, what are those monster beverages and those, uh, what was the big one, the the, the big uh, beverage with all the caffeine in it? Red, Red Bull. Bull. Th- th- yeah, Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. Red Bull. Yeah, the, the Bittoffs made a lot of money selling Red Bull, my good friend. Bruce Linton, by the way, is on the line. Oh, yeah. uh, CEO of Canopy, the world's largest marijuana producer. You know, it's amazing, your company, because Jack mentions to me in the studio, your company is six times the size of Canaccord, and it's three times the size of Coors 
Radio Course Entertainment, of course, the home of Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, you built this empire, my friend, in a matter of five years. You have to be Entrepreneur of the Year, uh, Canadian Entrepreneur of the Year. How, how many people, <laughs> by the way, in terms of employment, how many people are, are gainfully and legally legally employed uh, in the cannabis sector in Canada, do you believe? Hard for me to give the whole sector. I just know with our place at almost 800 and looking for another three or 400, um, I would say you're probably looking at a 5x multiple on that for the whole sector, maybe maybe eight. Um, but what starts to happen is as companies get more scale, the types of employees change and the quality of the opportunity increases, meaning like when you go from growing a plant to extracting oil, that technical step of extraction attracts a different education cohort. And then when you start turning the oil into finished goods, medical and recreational, before you know it, you're starting to call some of your coworkers doctors. <laughs> and uh, when you're getting into the finished goods and consumer packaged goods, you start having people who have uh, titles like, uh, you know, logistics, uh, logistics and chief information officer and things like that. So what I think you're going to find is that uh, very rapidly uh, companies like Canopy are becoming substantial international structured companies which have this range of interesting people. And maybe to go back to your valuation on uh, brokerage firms or... Um, you know, uh, media outlets, everything's about timing, policy, and technology. And what's happening with cannabis is it's at the right time, in the right country, and the development of the technology set is turning uh, some companies into big differentiated entities. And, you know, it's kind of the, the uptick for us, and it's pretty hard to make uh, radio work, right? It's a damn interweb thing, and uh, as far as being a brokerage host, that's a hard business, too, because they're cyclically dependent on things like digging holes. Yeah. And so there has been many events of digging all in Canada lately, and I suspect if it weren't for the cannabis company, a lot of the brokerage houses would be worth half of what they are today anyhow because we've been their primary driver for the last two years in terms of uh, transactions. No, without question, so, no, no, without question, we have, we have to wrap her up here, Bruce, as much as we love having you on Hi-Fi Radio. Of course, Bruce Linton, the uh, present CEO of Canopy. But no, in, in, in closing, uh, the oil landscape in Canada has gone totally south. They, they sell their oil. We sell our oil for $30 less than the Americans uh, uh, pay for international oil, so we're getting gypped. Uh, and our revenue in, in, in the uh, oil landscape has, has fallen by 15%. Much of it's been offset by the canopy-friendly policy jurisdiction of marijuana here in Canada. So we don't like oil, but we like pot. That's just the way it is, my good friend. And I guess in your case, you want to bend with the trend, and that's what you are doing. Uh, Bruce Linton, a real pleasure to have you on. Look forward to uh, having you back on the show again. Uh, you be good in the keys and uh, be safe and have good, safe travels. That's it for this show. Hi-Fi Radio, real pleasure. Jack did a good job as always. Courtney, our producer, very tight, very tight, very good. And I want to wish you all a great weekend. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.